so true that uh, oftentimes in our relationships, we feel like we're stepping in the ring. Um, I, uh, growing up, my parents had a set of boxing gloves, actually two pairs. Uh, they hung in the old basement, what we called the old basement, and uh, they weren't quite as fancy as this. They were kind of pink in color, and uh, some of the stuffing was coming out in a few places. But I remember hearing stories about my older brothers and my father actually getting the boxing gloves out and saying, here you go. Have at it. Now, I, I was boxed with one of those gloves one time, and they hurt a lot. Now, this one right here, I borrowed it from my brother-in-law, Troy, and it's actually been autographed by Sylvester Stallone. I had to look it up online to tell which was which um, from these signatures because you can't tell just by looking at them. And then this one on the bottom is Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, both autographed this. Now, I don't think either of them wore it. Um, they just signed some random boxing glove, but I, I thought that was, you know, kind of cool. But growing up as a sibling, if you have siblings, or even, even really if you didn't, if you had cousins, do you ever remember fighting with them? Do you ever remember conflict arising? Do you ever remember your parents say, now you guys better knock it off or somebody's going to get hurt? right? You, 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 it always starts out as gentle wrestling, right? And then, and then somebody kind of gets their feelings hurt or, or somebody gets poked and then it escalates, right? And before long, a coffee table's broke or there's a hole in the wall in the basement. Yeah, that happened. Um, or, or there's these cupboards, you know, that have these wood slats and the slats get knocked out of one set. Dad wasn't very happy about that. Um, you know, it, it happens. We, we fight. We fight. We have, we, we have conflicts. Um, and, and it seems like, you know, because we don't really, honestly, I don't think most of us start out the day saying, I'm going to see who I can have a fight with today. Now, maybe a few of you, look at your, you're looking at your wife thinking, you woke up that way the other day, or, or maybe your husband, I, I don't know. But I think, generally speaking, in life, in the church, in our relationships, we seek to not experience conflict. We, we do all want to get along. We, we want there to be limited strife in our relationships. But since we're imperfect, every one of us in this room, as human beings, it's going to happen. Somebody's going to get their feelings hurt, or, or conflict is going to arise. And over the next four weeks, we're going to tackle ways in which the Bible tells us, the commands of God, what we should do when we experience conflict, because we are going to experience it. Maybe you're experiencing it right now, and you're like, hey, oh man, this is great. It couldn't have been at a more uh, timely time, and I'm glad. You know what? I I want to start out with this statement. It's time to heal. If you're, if you're in those kinds of situations, conflict or whatever, and it's just, it's, it's, you, you just have this sense, as I even talk about it, of unrest in your spirit, it's time to heal. It's, it's time. A verse that I think is great for everyone to memorize, it's our memory verse for this week, is Romans 12.8. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Did you even know that was in the Bible? Um, that is, I really, I really like that verse because it's almost like it has some qualifications to it. You know, try as you may, there are times when the other person that, that you are trying to live with peace with doesn't want to have anything to do with it. But that doesn't let us off the hook in 
trying to live at peace with everyone. Uh, I said earlier last week, or maybe it was the week before, I can't really remember, um, the way that I really prefer to approach conflict is to walk on the other side of the street from it. You know, when conflict starts to arise, it's like, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't want to participate in that. I don't, I, it just makes me uneasy. Growing up in our household, you know, the, the, the way that we dealt with things was just to be quiet. You know, and, and hopefully it'll just go away. Well, trust me, it won't. It doesn't. It sits there, and it sits there, and it sits there. Um, avoiding it, in fact, is the worst thing that we could ever do. One reason that we shouldn't avoid conflict is that conflict is not necessarily bad or destructive all the time. Okay, Even when conflict is caused by sin and causes a great deal of stress, God can take that and he can bring something good out of it. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, there's a lot of stuff in those two verses right there. I could have probably just as well have stopped with verse 28. But what does he say? In what things? In all things. In everything, which includes conflict. Good can come from conflict. Les Parrott says that that conflict is like fire. There there are really two sides of it. There, There is that of burning up and there is that of giving light. And conflict can be that way in your life and in mine. It can it can burn us up from the inside out, or it can shed light and and bring hope and and actually Depth of relationship. Um, oftentimes, burning fire or conflict or struggle in that way really increases the depth and intimacy of, of our personal relationships if, if we listen to God and we work through him the way that he wants us to. So, so conflict actually provides us with three opportunities. Now, as I said, when the opportunity of conflict knocks, I generally want to go the other direction. But there are three positive uh, outcomes that can absolutely come from conflict. And they're in your notes there. The first one, uh, by God's grace, we can use conflict to glorify God. And and that's actually the first G of the four Gs that we're going to talk about this morning is to glorify God. How is God glorified? He's glorified by us trusting him, by us obeying him, by us imitating him. Um, The second thing uh, that, that conflict can do, the positive thing, it can give us opportunity to serve other people. Now, what a selfless thing to do, right? Serve other people in the midst of conflict. Uh, we can help people in, in the midst of their conflicts by helping them bear their burdens, or we can, we can confront other people in love in the face of a conflict, okay? And, and in those ways, we serve other people. And the third uh, way that we can use conflict by the grace of God is to grow to be like Christ. Okay, you, you say, well, I want to be good. I want to be good at resolving conflict, okay? I do. Now, I think more, I, I also want to be patient. I want to be gentle. 
uh, I want to be humble. And the thing is, when we begin praying for those things, God doesn't say, you know, I, I don't think. He snaps his finger and we're patient. Right? He doesn't snap his fingers and, and, and we're, we, we're gentle in spirit. What does, what does he do? He gives us opportunities to be patient. He gives us opportunities to work through conflict. He gives us um, learning things. To, and, and in that process, we grow to be like Christ. We, we confess sin. We turn from attitudes that promote conflict. You know, I mean, we all have that friend, right, who, who it's like they do get up in the morning and they're like, who can I make life miserable for today? Who, who can I poke and prod and, and, and create drama in their life today? It's like, it's like that's, that gives them significance of some kind. There, there are those people, uh, but, but we don't want to be one of those people. I, I, I want to be the kind of person that, that enters a situation and there's conflict or there's, there's, there's drama or whatever and people say, oh man, I'm so glad David is here because he will bring some peace and stability to this situation. That's the guy I want to be. I want to, I want to be the person that people look to to be a peacemaker. Now there's a wonderful website and I think I listed it in your, in your sermon notes today. It's peacemaker.net. Okay, uh, a lot of the information and stuff that, that I'm getting comes from that website. You can peruse it yourself if you, if you want to go further in depth uh, on that. But, but these three things that I just mentioned, glorify God, serve other people, grow to be like Christ, those are not the first things that come to our mind when we are experiencing a conflict, are they? What, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you experience a conflict with someone at work or at home? Two things, I think, that, that, that we experience. One is, I want to relieve this situation. I, I want to overcome this. I want to get out of it. I, I want the, the conflict to go away. And the, the second thing is, that, that we want to do in the midst of this, is we want to overcome our opponent. Right? I mean, the whole fight thing. What is the goal of a boxing match? To knock the other man or woman out. To overcome them. And, and all too often, we enter into a conflict with that in mind. I want this to go away. I don't care how. I want it resolved. Or, I want to punch the other guy's lights out. Right? I want to, over, I want to overcome them. Now, as I observe people in various aspects of life, and I love to mall watch. I, I love to people watch at the mall or at the airport, because you, just, you, can just, you just can just read people. Or I, I like to observe, sometimes I don't like to, but uh, you know, like if you're playing cards, or you're playing risk, you know, something with high stakes, right? World domination. Um, any game that involves owning things, people become possessive about those things, even in the midst of a silly game. Some of you have heard the story about risk, and I'm not going to tell it, but we don't play risk in our household anymore, at least my wife and I and, and Dr. Randolph and Rob Randolph. We don't play that together anymore because just after I was married, we did. Let's just say it didn't go well. Okay, I don't like to lose at anything, but I also don't like to lose when other people cheat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, what? Wait, 
No, I couldn't be remembering this story differently. No. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. We're going to look at the four G's of Christian reconciliation. Number one is this. Glorify God. Glorify God. Um, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11, 1. He says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example, Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ. Right? Paul encourages the Corinthians to live to the glory of God. When he encourages them to do that, he's not simply talking about one hour on a Sunday morning. He's talking about every day, every day of our life. He wants them to show God honor and bring him praise, especially by the way that they resolve personal conflicts. He says in verse 31, so what, whether you eat or drink or what, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That includes conflict. It includes fighting and arguing and disagreeing with other people. Um, So we can glorify God in the midst of conflict. And it transforms our mind when we start here. When we start with the glory of God, it changes changes the game board. It, It honestly does. Now there's three ways that he's glorified, and we're going to look at those today. He's glorified when we trust him, when we obey him, and when we imitate him. Look at Proverbs 3. Four and six up here on the screen. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. According to that proverb, there's four ways in which um, we can trust. Because God is glorified when we trust him. He's glorified when we trust him with all our heart. With our everything, when we, when we hold nothing back, just like a child completely trusts their caregiver to provide for them, to, to, uh, to feed them, to love them, the, this proverb is saying, don't doubt the ability of God. Trust him. Trust him. You're in the midst of a conflict? Trust him. Trust him. Doubts arise, trust him. Surrender, trust him. It's a conscious decision we have to make every day, really, to trust his wisdom and not ours. But when we do, it glorifies him. It holds him high. He's he's glorified when we trust his wisdom, not ours. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's like God makes no sense, right? I mean... I just don't understand it. I, I don't understand um, what, what you want from me, God. I mean, there's, there are some commands, and we're going to look at a couple of them today, that, that, that just make me want to lose my mind. It's like, God, why? Why would you expect me to do it this way? It, it makes no sense. But he knows exactly what he's doing, and we need to trust his wisdom not our own. And that has to be a conscious thing that we do every day. Um, God is glorified when we trust his authority. 
Nobody likes giving up control. Nobody likes giving up authority in their life. We like to be in charge. We like to decide things. We like to have a little power over other people. But in order to grow from conflict and to glorify God in the midst of it, we have to approach the situation, and we're talking about conflict, with humility, with with humbleness. We need to submit it to God. No matter what he says, he he may say, look, keep your mouth shut. And you're all trying to pry your mouth open because you want to say something, but you hear that voice. You hear God saying, no, don't say anything. And and you're sitting on your hands. And I've talked to some of you. You've been in those situations. And it is so hard. But God's saying, nope, trust my authority. So we trust his authority. We trust him with all of our heart, with his wisdom, not ours, with his authority. And we trust his direction. Sometimes his direction, uh, God says, look, look. And, and you look down the road of life and you can see 10 miles. And it's like, wow, I love, I love Wyoming. You can see where you're going. Right? I want to go over there. I can see it. And you drive to it. Sometimes when God gives us direction, it's like, it's like we're in the middle of Kentucky and you can't see 10 feet because of all the trees. And, 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 and all you see is that next step. And God's like, you know what? That's exactly where I want you right now. It's that next step. Uh, it, Psalm 119 talks about the word of God is this aspect in our life. That's how one of the ways in which he tells us his direction and we're to follow him. Psalm 119 would be a great uh, psalm to uh, meditate on this week. Uh, key right in the center of Psalm 119 is verse 105 and it sums up that chapter that says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. You see, it's a focus thing, isn't it? Another verse comes to mind. Seek first what? The kingdom of God. Why? And what happens after that? All these other things will be added unto you that are being talked about in the context of that passage. Trust him and follow his direction. It seems like there's nothing that can get our focus off more important things we're believing and focusing on Jesus Christ than a conflict with someone. A conflict seems to drive us inward, doesn't it? My way, my rights, my, 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 my. So God is glorified when we trust. Number two, God is glorified when we obey. This is, the, this is the one that I like because I like to be told these are the rules, this is what you got to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I know. I'll follow those. And, and some of you, that may not be what you prefer. You sort of, you know, you sort of like the soccer field approach. It's like, okay, here's one or two rules and then all the rest is just, you know, we'll just make it up as we go, which is what some of the referees do, I think. But beside the point. John 14, 15. Jesus says this, If you love me, what? Keep my commands. You know, there's this attitude in our nation with, with a lot of people right now that just says we just need to love each other. And their interpretation of love is just essentially let you do whatever you want. Believe whatever you want. Act however you want. In fact, you can just identify with whoever you want, Right? And it's unloving if I tell you that it should be opposite of that. And they forget 
they forget that Jesus himself said, look, I have commands. I've given them to you. And Jesus said, if you love me, what? You'll keep my commands. You'll keep my commands. And when we love him, he is glorified. So we are to keep his commands. Communicated to us through his word. You know, if, is, is, is Jesus your savior? Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord? Then you are to keep his commands. Now, that doesn't earn us salvation. But we want to be obedient because of our salvation. Because he's changing us. Any parent that disciplines their child, if the child looks at them and says, you you can't treat me that way, that's not loving. Any parent would say, no, I'm pretty sure that's love. Because if I just let you do whatever, what kind of a parent would I be? What kind of God would we have if he just said, yeah, just do whatever? He doesn't, and he didn't. Now, I, I, there's, there's two verses that I want to look at along this lines of keeping his commands. The first one is Romans 12.20. This is what he says. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You see, God is glorified when we love our enemies. But not just in word. Because you can say that all day long on a Sunday morning. But during the week when that enemy pokes you, during the week when that enemy says something bad about you in the newspaper or to their friends, and it comes back around to you, what do you want to do? Well, I'll give them a piece of my mind. Right? You, it says, if your enemy is hungry, this doesn't say friend. This says enemy. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, the burning coals thing, it's, it's all debatable, actually, as I've read different commentaries and, and studied that a little bit this week. I think it boils down to, ultimately, God's the one that's going to do that. Whatever coals need to be heaped, he's going to take care of that. Um, that's, his, that's his part. Um, our part is the first part, to feed and give a drink, and he will be glorified when we do that. Romans twelve eighteen again, if possible, so as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Not just those you're close to, not just family, and some of us struggle with that, with everyone. Now, so God is glorified when we obey his commands. The second thing, God is glorified when we let God take care of the punishment. This is the one we don't like. You know, it seems that we're always looking to get even, right? Sometimes I say this, I don't get even, I get ahead. Right? Have you ever uttered those words? And sometimes, yeah, generally it's because it's like a practical joke, right? Yeah, put one over on me. And I, but we, we live our life that way too, unfortunately. A letter to a neighbor reads this way. Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music. And when your dog went to the bathroom all over my lawn, you laughed. 
I could go on, but I'm certainly not one to hold grudges. So I'm writing this letter to tell you that your house is on fire. Cordially, Bob. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, all too often, that's how we live our life. That's how we live our life. Well, let's look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. It is mine to avenge. I will repay in due time. Their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. God says, it's mine. I will take care of it. Don't worry. So what we need to do is we need to obey him and we need to let him take care of it. Now, I'm not saying that we don't that we don't hold people to the law of the land. I'm not saying that. Some people would say, well, you should just forgive and we shouldn't punish. Well, look, we have, proce- we have due process in this country and we need to follow that. But even in the midst of that, as we do, there are biblical things that we follow and if our enemy is hungry, we feed him and if he is thirsty, we give him a drink. And if his house is on fire, we call the fire department. We don't write him a letter. Well, you're thinking, that's Old Testament, Pastor Dave. What, you know, it's, what's the New Testament say? Well, let's look at the New Testament. Romans 12, verse 19. Paul says this, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, and he quotes the Old Testament, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. I wonder if there might be some things that you've been thinking about as far as repaying in the midst of a conflict. I pray that today, because of the word of God, you rethink that. That you listen to him and ask him to change your heart and your attitude when it comes to a conflict that you might be involved in right now. Maybe there was a conflict that was years ago and there's still, there's still this... You know, I, think, I think oftentimes conflict is like, it, it's like rye in a wheat field. Right? I mean, if you've ever dealt with rye in a wheat field, you know how difficult it is. You can plow it, you can plow it, you can plow it. And then like 10 years later, somehow there's some little rye seed that didn't rot and it sprouts and grows. Conflict is the same way. Bitterness is the same way. Anger can be the same way. Please, as, as, you, as we experience this series together, submit that to him. Ask him to start working on it in your life. So God is glorified when we trust. God is glorified when we obey. And number three, God is glorified when we imitate him. Now that's setting the bar pretty high, but that's what God does. Ephesians 5.1 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved Children, when we glorify God, we we glorify God when we love others as he loves us. Paul says that husbands are to love their wives like what? Yeah, like Christ loved the church. Is there no higher bar than that, husbands? Jesus sacrificed his life for us, for the church. 
Husbands, that's how we're to love our wives. And Paul says, wives, respect your husbands in that same passage. We glorify God when we love others. That's one way we imitate him. When we sacrifice for others. When we, when we don't do something and we do something else that we would not rather do, but that someone has asked us to do. Or we serve someone in some way. That's imitating Christ. That's loving him the way that he loved the church. And, and then to think of it even further than that, Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. And here's the catch. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? We, we, we're all like, ah, you know, I'm kind of a good guy. I, I think maybe I deserve to be saved. I think maybe I deserve to have eternal life. There are people that don't believe in Jesus that think that. It's like, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I think I've done some pretty good things in my life, and he's just going to let me in. Well, how is that going to be a rude awakening? No, it doesn't work that way. Christ, it's, Jesus said, the way, the truth, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to heaven is what? By me. But we forget that he did that even though we would one day spit in his face again. We would be disobedient. We would take his love for granted. We would would act in some way completely contrary to what he wants us to do. He still died. And for you and for me to love someone else knowing that they might smile today and say, you know, I'm sorry and I didn't mean to do that and... And they say things like, oh, this is the one that, that really, that, that I love when you see this in a tweet, right? Because this is how people apologize today. You post it on Twitter. If I hurt you in any way, I'm sorry. What? Right? I mean, have you ever had anybody apologize that way? Well, I said this, and if it hurt you, well, why are you apologizing if it didn't hurt me for one? Yes, it absolutely did. You just need to fess up to the sin. Admit your guilt. Not some sort of, well, you know, if, then I guess I'm sorry. That's, that's, all, that's like four and five-year-old stuff, right? Tell them you're sorry and mean it. Have you ever told your kids that? Have you ever been told that as a kid? Yeah. I was... I was never told that as a kid because I was never mean or didn't ever have to apologize for anything. (coughs) Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're to imitate Christ. Love our enemies. Feed them. Give them a drink. And then, and then we're to do this. We're to consider others better than ourselves. Philippians 2, 3, we, we just looked through this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others about yourselves. And we say, I'm all about that, except when somebody does something to hurt me or to offend me or whatever. Then it's like, all bets are off. They, they're just going to get what they deserve. In fact, I hope they get what I think they deserve. So, So one of the challenges for us in this series is to take a step back. 
Okay, today, I hope that you go home and you take a step back and, and you spend a little bit of quiet time. You say, Lord, is there anybody in my life that, that, there's a, that there's an ongoing conflict with? Is there anybody in my life, is there some seed lying under the surface that I haven't dealt with? Can, can you please, can please let me know what that is? Maybe it's something that happened years and years and years ago. Maybe it occurred this week. Maybe it's going to occur tomorrow. Let's meditate on the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us by renewing our minds in the area of conflict. One of the best ways to keep these concerns uppermost in your mind and mine is to regularly ask ourselves this focusing question. It's in your notes. It's the last thing. How can I please and honor the Lord in this situation? How can I please and honor the Lord in this situation? No matter how difficult it is, no matter how wronged you have been or you feel you have been by this other person or this other situation or or whatever, however God wants to use this series in your life, that is a great question to ask before you experience something. Now, I want to close with this final illustration. And, and it's written by a man by the name of Greg Rochelle. And the title of it is, Greg Rochelle Sought Revenge After His Sister's Sexual Abuse. And, and I, just, I just want us to think about this as we go home today and as we consider conflict and, and as we begin uh, praying and submitting ourselves to, to, to the work of the Holy Spirit in this way. Craig says this, my biggest struggle with bitterness started when my family discovered the awful truth about someone we had trusted in a position of authority over my little sister. Most kids in our small town junior high school took at least one class from a man named Max on their journey through the sixth grade. Too many kids, to many kids, Max was a favorite teacher, always cutting up, telling jokes, and handing out easy A's. To me, he became the object of the deepest bitterness that I've ever known. Throughout the years, Max developed special relationships with his favorite students. Though none of us were aware of it at the time, we discovered years later that all his favorite students happened to be cute young girls. My little sister, whom I treasured and loved, became one of Max's victims. Some studies show that as many as one out of three girls and one in four boys suffer some sort of sexual abuse. Whatever the numbers, these Uh, This tragedy must crush God's heart. I know it crushed mine as a brother. I remember trying to absorb the painful truth. How should I respond? Should we track him down, have him arrested, beat the life out of him? Make no mistake, I was furious the moment that I heard about his abuse. But the more I thought about it, my anger blossomed into rage. The seeds of bitterness planted in my heart grew to a full-blown briar patch of revenge. I prayed that Max would suffer eternally in hell, and I vowed to make him suffer on earth before facing God's judgment. My plan for revenge wasn't necessary. To my bittersweet delight in this 
part of the story makes me uneasy. We found that Max was suffering in a hospital, fighting for his life against a crippling disease, muscular dystrophy. I remember thanking God for his justice and giving Max what he deserved. Most would agree that my bitterness toward Max was justifiable. But no matter how justifiable my feelings were, in God's eyes, my self-righteous hatred was just as sinful as Max's crime. Even writing that statement all these years later remains difficult. How could my desire for justice be considered as sinful as this monster's lustful actions? The vast majority of people would agree that my hate and judgmental rage were more than justified, and I think that's more than true in our culture today. In the course of time, however, I learned that bitterness never draws us closer to God. Bitterness is a non-productive, toxic emotion, usually resulting from resentment over unmet needs. I wanted Max to suffer, but I was punishing no one but myself and those around me who experienced the scalding spillovers of the acid churning inside me. There's serious stuff in that story. And we've, many of us in our own personal lives have experienced serious stuff too. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hard stuff's going to happen. Sin is not going to cease to exist. We're still going to find teachers that abuse children. We're still going to find parents that abuse their own children. We're, we're going we're to find conflict every day. Some not so great and some enormous. But, but the Bible is clear. Whatever you do, glorify God. Whatever you do, submit your own mind and your own heart for transformation and just wait and see what he does. And I know that some of you are sitting there thinking, maybe even this particular story has raised up some things in your own heart and your own mind. And I would say that if it does, there's stuff still there that you need to submit to your creator and let him heal it. As the worship team comes up, let's close. Lord Jesus, um, <laughs> uh, Father, I, I, I thank you for, for your word and for your truth. And In some ways, maybe we can sort of lightheartedly look at the conflicts and the, the things that, that are in our life and and then there's other things, Father, that are just really deep. You hurt a lot. And I, I'm not naive enough to think that, that we could all go home and surrender it and life's just going to be great from this day forward. There's going to be struggles every day. And, and for some of us, this process of the healing of our hearts and the giving up of, 
of, of grudges and, and the desire to seek revenge and different things like that could take some time. But, but Father, I pray that you, you want to heal that in our life. You want to be the one that dispenses any sort of punishment that needs to be dispensed. And Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you with that. Lord, I think our biggest, our biggest fear in that is that, that you won't do it. But God, whatever you do, it will be righteous. It will be right. It will be just. Help us to trust you with that. Father, I pray that you would heal our hearts. I pray that you would heal our relationships. I pray that you would heal our land. Lord, as we give of our tithes and our offerings here at the end of the service and as we sing this last song, I pray that you would help each one of us every day this week to get up and to glorify you in all the things that we do. Bring that question to our mind. How can I glorify you in this situation, Father? As we face work, as we face our children, as we face relatives, as we face whatever it is this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with us?